Uh, the story ends with uh, this group of people, a family, Israel, a nation, all coming together and saying amen and praising the Lord. And, and that's what we want. That's the end goal of what we want as a church. We just want to be able to come together and to be able to say amen, uh, be in agreement, and to praise God. But for them, the path in, in getting to that place, uh, it, it was difficult. Uh, and it was difficult for a lot of reasons. We've been reading about some of the difficulties in terms of other people oppressing them. But in order to come to this place where they could say amen and thank the Lord, they had to grapple with their own sinfulness. Uh, they didn't come to that place feeling good about themselves. They, they came to that place only by grappling with our own sinfulness, grappling with our own responsibility to the suffering of people, grappling with that, admitting it, confessing it, and then relying on forgiveness to be able to come together. And so I want to take a look through this. We'll look through it quickly and see how this relates to us. The story starts at the beginning. It says there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there are those who said, we, our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. The situation that is being talked about there, many people have pointed this out, that there's several different aspects of oppression that are being talked about here. Uh, and all of those are systematic. It's within a system. And the part of the system that it is being brought out here is wage earners. It's going to talk about landowners here in a minute. But this right here is just people who don't own land. They're just earning a wage. In other words, someone has a company, someone has something, they work for them, they get a wage, they pay rent, they buy food, that situation. And so there's this system that's set up for them where there's this expectation that this person has some sort of business, they have some sort of operation, they need some help in order to expand, make it. and so they hire people to do that and they're making money, but they're also providing a service. They're providing jobs for people that need jobs. They're providing ways for people to be able to afford a place to stay, a house, uh, uh, afford be able to eat food, basic necessities. So there's this system that's set up where people have a business, they make money off of it. There's this way of making money, but it's a way that includes engaging other people helping them, giving them a wage and that. And we see that every country has that. In America, we call it the American dream, maybe you might say. It's just, it's a normal part. But what's being said here is, hey, wait a minute. I'm working. I'm receiving a wage. I'm thankful for that. But it's not a livable wage. Things are getting more and more to the point where it's like, I'm getting paid, but... There's this weird thing happening within this system where people are just making more and more money, way more than they need to live. And yet I'm finding it harder and harder to live. I'm getting farther and farther away. And this idea that one person's going to be able to support a family with a livable wage, that's not happening. And when it says here, when people point out that when it brings up wives, that's out of the usual for this 
type for the culture there. What it's saying is, is people are getting there. Look, I can't, I'm not making a livable wage. And so now we're having two spouses. Both of us are working. And for a while that was working. You know, we were able to get by just, we just worked a little bit harder, both of us. But, but now it's getting to the point where two people, it's not a livable wage. We're not able to get by on ends me. We're not, we're having trouble finding food to eat. We're, we're in situations where we're starting to get hungry and we have two people working and it's not a livable wage. And then he says, many people in the family, there's many mouths to feed. In other words, it's this situation that we see today, families starting to live together, sons, daughters, all. And it's like, man, even when we, that helped a little bit, both spouses were eating, all the kids working, that started to, but now it's to the point where it's like, even with that, it's not a livable wage. They're saying within the system, we, we're fine with that. If this is the system, we work for someone, we get away, but we got to be able to eat. It has to be somewhat livable. And it can't just be that the profits just keep getting put up here and it's not really passing down. There's this promise of it being passed down, but it's not being passed down. And then it says, there were others who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. It's the idea of a mortgage. You know, we have this system. It's like, well, that's there to help people. If people can have home ownership, then they're not just paying money for rent. Part of the solution to this maybe is people just need to be owning homes. And so let's provide a way for them to own homes. And so you have this mortgage that you pay your whole life for. <laughs> and then, but then they said, well, we paid our whole, our parents paid their whole life for this mortgage, but now this famine has happened. Something's happened. COVID happened. Some sort of thing. Something always happens, and we have to remortgage it out. Now the next generation is having to pay it off over and over. There, there was this sense that, like, at some point, there was going to be this relief that we could build something. But what we're finding is, is because we're just the system is keeping us a certain portion of us down in the margins. Whenever something out of the usual happens some sort of thing happens that constricts that, it just wipes away everything that we've gained. You keep saying to us, we need to like save, we need to do this, we need to build, build, build this. And you keep putting it up there like you're building, you're building, you're building. But, but we just get wiped out over and over again. He's talking about things within a system of life as a community with these promises, these expectations, but the way it ends up working out is that some people just keep making more and more, increasing, increasing, and others, it just starts getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And we just get, why is that? It says, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. The king had been helping them. Yes, Babylon had enslaved them. They had set them free. They had let them come back. The king had, you know, given them wood to be able to build the temple and everything through Ezra, this beginning of Nehemiah. We see the king is on board. Money is coming to them from the king. But that doesn't change the fact that they still owe taxes. Where does that money come from? There's taxes that need to be paid, just like with us. Relief may come in one sense, but who's going to pay for that relief? 
does this pay for that relief? No, those costs just keep getting pushed down, passed on until it gets to a group that can't doesn't have anyone to pass it on to. And the people that it doesn't have anything else to pass it on to is the next generation of the people who are living in poverty, their kids, it gets passed down to them. And the effect is seen here. It says, now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers and our children like their children. Yet behold, we're forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. What they're saying is, look, we're, we're all the same people, right? People are people. All of us should have the same opportunity. But what we're finding is, is that our kids have no opportunity whatsoever. And you act as though they're choosing to go into here. They're, they're not. They're being forced to come in. That, that word there at the end is just the saddest thing people have noticed. It has a sexual overtones when it talks about daughters. People try and sanitize it sometimes and say people were kind of being forced into marriage. But quite a few people just realized this is just, it's, it's sex trafficking is what it is. You're saying here, we, we got this system and the system is very sanitized. It looks like everybody has all these opportunities. It, it looks like everybody's the same. It looks like, you know, there's no problems whatsoever. I mean, we encounter some famine, but, you know, we make it through it, right? Right? And, and through the famine, some people made a lot of money, you know, over COVID. Some people made a lot of money, maybe, you know, who knows? And it's just opportunities abounding for everyone. But there's this group of people saying, no. That's not true. We keep working harder and harder. More of us bonding together, families joining together, and it's still not a livable wage. We're still finding ourselves hungry. We keep having these properties, but then they keep getting mortgaged off. We're thankful that the king is helping us. We're thankful for whatever help the government has given us, but, but we can't afford, we're having to pay off on our credit card. We're having to borrow money. Even the government's loaning us money to be able to pay them taxes. And this outcry comes out. And I have to say, most of the time when we look at it, a story like this, we just think, oh, how could it get to this? You know? But this is what we live in. And just like with Nehemiah, it says, verse 6, then I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. You know what's interesting about this? It's not like one hour things were fine, and then all of a sudden the next hour all this stuff happened, and, and then people cry out, and then the third hour Nehemiah gets mad. <laughs> These things have been going on for a while. They're systematic things. They're things that are generation. It's been happening. But Nehemiah wasn't angry before this. He didn't see it this way. Nehemiah wasn't looking at this and seeing uh, the oppression that was going on. He did see it. But what about before the outcry? It was there. See, the problem with this stuff is we look at it and we think, well, where did this all come from? It's been there. It was there already for Nehemiah. But there was a moment when he saw it finally. 
And it didn't get created just prior to that. It had been there for a long time prior. He just wasn't seeing it. And for a lot of us, we just don't see it. We see things on the upside. Well, I'm making some money, you know. I mean, over this, the, things worked out well for me. You know, I bought a house, and I'm now I have lower. I have the. I've have a level. You know, we just think that the system is. You know, that there's things maybe wrong with it, but in general, it, it's kind of good. It's heading this direction. We just don't see it. But there was this point when Nehemiah all of a sudden saw it. This is all pushing things, wealth in one direction, and pushing cost and suffering and pain into another direction, the people. That's what the system is doing. The system is pulling us apart. It's not bringing us together. It's put out there as though the system is to give us all opportunity, that we're all the same flesh and blood. That's what's on the face of it. But when you look at the reality of it, when you look at the end result of it, what Nehemiah finally saw is that's not what this is doing. This is actually pulling us farther and farther apart. The, the, the wealth gap is, getting, is increasing. All of a sudden, Nehemiah saw it. And, and what was it that made Nehemiah see it? He had a point of view. He looked at it. He wasn't angry. And then in a moment's time, it seems like all of a sudden he had a completely different view of the situation, and he's angry now. What, what is it that causes that change? I mean, that's the kind of change we need to have. If we want to come together instead of this, where we're just sort of in bliss here, and then people are suffering, we just don't even see it. If we're going to have an amen moment when we all come together, if we're all going to praise God together, it requires, like, a, a, I don't know how to say it, a, like a, a change in our heart, a change in the way we view things. It requires us that we've been seeing it this way. Oh, this is just a wonderful opportunity, land of opportunity, to see, no, we're, we're contributing in, in just immense pressure and oppression on people. How do we have that? realization. Do we just start looking at the facts? I guarantee you, Nehemiah was a facts type guy. He was looking at the facts before, and he wasn't angry. What changed it? The outcry of the people. He heard them, and he didn't just hear them. He believed what they had to say. He heard people and believed what they had to say, and his view of the way things are, he was willing to discard that and accept their view. He had a view that didn't include him being angry, but he heard them, their outcry, and he took on their view, and then he became angry. What's going to do that for us? You know? Is it just looking at the facts? No, because, you know, the truth is, we just look at whatever facts we want to look at. All of us, we tell ourselves, I'm looking at the, everyone's looking at the facts. That's the face of this whole system. We're all just looking at facts. We're all just logically proceeding forward. Every single thing in here was completely law-abiding. Every single thing in here was completely legal. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's not oppressive. Just because something is fact-based doesn't mean it's not oppressive. 
Just because we think we're proceeding line doesn't mean it's not a person. We're all looking at things and proceeding logically. But we just need to sometimes take people's word for it. When someone cries out, we need to see that as valid. There's no indication that he went through and investigated. He just took it. How do we get to that point where we're able to hear someone? You know, so often when people talk to us, they, don't, they, they only get like halfway into their sentence before we can complete it for them because we think we already know what they have to say. We've already pigeonholed them. We've already put into, we know how they're thinking and we've already got something to say about that. We need to be able to come to a place where we say, I've been viewing this wrong. You know, I thought I was viewing it right, but I've been viewing it wrong. And now I accept the way that you're telling me things are. How do we get to that place? A start is what's happening with the gospel. It's really the only possible start that you can have with this. You have to be willing to admit your own sinfulness. You have to be willing to admit that you get things wrong all the time. We have to be willing to admit that. If we're not, how would we ever let go of our view and accept the view of the outcry? We have to be willing to see that we are all messed up. And that's where the gospel, how it brings us together. And I know that's a frustrating thing for people hearing like, we talk about our sinfulness all the time. It's keep pushing. No, but that's just a start to something wonderful. The amen, the being able to praise God. That's the start of us coming together. The start of us coming together is not, I've got the right view. The start of us coming together is us being able to say, I don't have the right view, but I'm going to accept your view because you're hurting, you're suffering. He says, I consulted with myself, I contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury, each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. I said to them, we, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now you would have even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. And they were silent and could not find a word to say. What he's saying is, is, look, the system we had before was obvious to us that we were being oppressed by an oppressor. And that oppressor had created a system that was meant to keep us down. In other words, we all know what it's like to be at the bottom end of this system. We've all been there, he's saying. In their case, it was. And what do we do? We changed the system. God gave us a change in the system. But now what's happened once the system has changed? Now they're doing the same thing. We keep thinking, well, the solution is we just need to change the system and have a good system. Well, they did that. And it still ended up in the exact same place. The word outcry there is the exact same word that was used when they were slaves in Egypt. And Egypt, the Pharaoh was oppressing them. The outcome, the feeling, the sense, the outcry that happened there in Egypt when the firstborn, when their, their male children were being ordered to be killed, that same outcry when they were given, you know, 
less hay to make bricks and had to go out and just made their work even harder. That outcry that was happening, it's the exact same outcry now that's happening within this family of believers, within brothers and sisters. It's the exact same thing. And there's something interesting here that's in the background because, you know, a lot of times when we see problems, like for instance, you drive down the street, especially here in Oakland, and you see just tons of people uh, living on the street and you, you see the poverty there. We see it. But what's, what's the tendency we have? We always have some sort of tendency to start going down this road of thinking, well, I wonder what these people did to get the, I feel like if I could just maybe teach them how to like manage their money a little bit better. You know, I've noticed some of these people, they're a little bit overweight. They're probably just not eating the right food. Maybe we just need to start putting some pressure on them to try and eat the right food. Maybe we need to like educate them on how to show up on time or this. We start putting all this on them or else we just say, oh, well, these people are drug addicts or this. It's like, they're just bad people. We keep putting it on people. We see these problems, but the one of the reasons why it doesn't register to us is because we see it. And instead of taking the responsibility on ourselves, we pass it off to them and say, the something they need to make better decisions. They need to become better people. They need to be like me who makes good decisions, who makes is a good person type thing. We, we see things in that framework. The transition that happens is we, we got to give that up. They don't need to make, Nehemiah says, look, it's not they need to make decisions. They don't need to make better decisions. These people need to make, the, you, the nobles, the people who, whoever's at the top, whoever has something needs to make better decisions. We always think that there's someone who has something and someone who doesn't. And the way for someone who doesn't to have it is for them to make better decisions and then they can have it too. Nehemiah says, no, no, that's not what the problem is. If there's a situation where one person doesn't have and one person has, the problem is, is this person needs to make better decisions. The person on the top needs to make better decisions. And we think, well, hasn't the person on the top made good decisions? That's why they're on the top, because they've made. No, a good decision is not to get to the top by pushing someone else down. A good decision isn't to be at the top by yourself and have all your brothers and sisters down at the bottom. A good decision is one where at the end we see everyone is able to say amen and everyone is able to praise God. That's what a good decision is. We keep thinking good decisions are just about me, 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 me getting to the top. And that the result of that and all the system and everything that we do to do that by nature pushes others down. And then we think, well, it's not my fault. It's their fault. And you might say, no, it is our fault. We need to make a decision based on how we're all going to be able to say amen. We need to start making decisions by, that's going to bring us to all be able to praise God. We need to make decisions so that people don't have to have an outcry, where people don't have to sell off their children, where there isn't sex trafficking, because it's not, it's not needed. It's a call from Nehemiah to say, look, the way we view things, we need to grapple with the fact it's probably wrong. And let's view, let's hear what people 
on the street have to say about that? Instead of talking about them having to make, let, let's talk about what decisions we need to make that's better. The people at the top need to take some responsibility and make some better decisions in terms of this. And, and then he closes, he says, uh, they were silent. They could not find a word to say. I just have to say a word about that. So many times we feel like I got to have a response to everything. Someone calls me on something on my view and says, this view isn't correct. I got to have a response. I got an argument for that. Someone says, no, this is, so I'm talking about your responsibility to do something. You're up here. I'm down here. Let's talk about what you need to do. And we've always got a response. We got a response. The best response sometimes is when we just, I don't have a response. I'm just guilty as charged. There's nothing to say. I have nothing to say. I, I mean, what could be said at this point? But so often we feel like the right place to be is to have a response. Maybe the best place to be is to somehow pray to God that he brings our heart to a place where we'll listen. And when we listen, we'll see things through the eyes of someone else. When we listen, we'll just shut up and we won't have anything to say. We'll just receive the guilt that's on us. He says, the thing what you are doing is not good. It's legal, but it's not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Fear of God. You know, Pharaoh didn't hear the cry. They didn't hear the cry. Nehemiah did, but the point is God hears the cry. When, when people cry out, there's really not much hope that anyone's going to hear the cry. But there is hope that God will. Insofar as God's willing to change our hearts, God changed the heart of Nehemiah in here. That's the hope that we're asking for when we cry out. It says, and likewise, I and my brothers, my servants, are lending them money and grain. Please leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, their hundredth part of their money, of the grain, the new wine, the oil you are exacting from them. And they said, we will give it back and we will require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. The system was built in such a way that every time there was a famine, every time there was a cost, help would come. But the cost of that help, all the costs would just get passed back down. And all the profit and all the rewards would be lifted up and away out of the hands of people. And what you see here is a people moving from saying, this is your fault. This is your responsibility. This isn't my responsibility. I'm not doing, I don't see anything wrong to being able to accept our sinfulness. Be able to say, I'm not seeing things correctly. And we're really moving forward on forgiveness at that point. And what you see from that heart thing is them saying, if we have something, if we're strong in some sort of way, 
then we're going to carry the cost. And that's what a church is all about. A church is, as Jesus said, if you want to be a leader, then you're going to be a servant. If you want to be strong, then you need to carry the cost. And that's what he did for us on the cross. And that's why he says, pick up our cross daily. He's not saying it because now you're, these people are not good people now. They gave it all back, but that doesn't mean they're good people. They had still, there was still all this horrible stuff that had happened prior to this. They're not standing there as good people. But before, they were taking opportunity of the system to enrich themselves and create this separation. But now under the system of forgiveness, under the system of repentance, under the system of realizing I've messed up and I deserve punishment from God. Under that system, when we're blessed, how do we take advantage of that? We take advantage of that as if you have something, then you carry the load for everyone else. If, if there's a cost, let whichever one of us has more to be able to carry that cost is what Jesus is saying. And, and take advantage of the kingdom of God. And what's the kingdom of God? The way in which Jesus is pulling us together to be able to say amen, to be able to praise God. And how does he pull us together? It starts with repentance. It can't start anywhere else. It starts with a change of heart that we have. It starts with us starting to see that all that we have, we didn't gain it, but God gave it. And he gave it for the reason for us to be able to have the joy of sharing it with other people. But instead of sharing it, we've been just taking more and more and more that wasn't really ours to take. It's this change of heart that leads to a change of life that the process is ugly, but it's full of hope only because of what Jesus has done for us, only because of where this is all coming from, only because of what God is going to do in the midst of this. Our nature is this other system. But God's saying, I'm going to, Make things right. I'm going to pull you out of this. I'm going to come back. Even when Jesus returns, the system will be recreated. Until then, the system is busted. It's messed up. But we can have that change in our hearts so that we're together. We can have that change. And what he's saying is the, the new system isn't a system of you need to do this, you need to do that. The new system that we see blossoming in our hearts is a system of this is my brother. I care for them. I'm just going to help them out. I don't need to charge them interest. I'm just going to help them out. They don't even need to give me anything. I just love, I care about this person. It's a system, I don't know how to say it without being corny, but it's like a system of love, something like that's stemming from a change of heart that we have where we realize how much God loves us, how much God cares for us, how much God has saved us, how much God is forgiving us, how much God is blessing us. And then instead of creating these separations, we're just here to help out our brothers and sisters, those that we love. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to have a change of heart. And as different things come to mind, I pray that you would just convict our hearts of our sin. Uh, convict our hearts, help us to see the way that we just join into a system that is causing harm to people. And we help us to open our eyes, to take responsibility and change our hearts that had been growing farther and farther away from people, bring us back together. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.